is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Boarding Pass 65, operating on February 22nd, 2021. This is Drew, and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Doug. We're two av geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. How you doing, Chief? Chief, Chief, <laughs> that's a little condescending. You, you might as well just say sport or or boss or Kimbo Sabe. <laughs> no, seriously. Do you think? I mean, because we hear these at the airport all the time. Like pilots will call me Chief or boss. Yeah. I'm not their Chief or their boss. Yeah. Are they trying to be? Key? I mean, is it? Do you think it's condescending? No, I. I to be honest, I think when when they're speaking to you, it probably is something like, you, even though you're not their shift manager or something, <laughs> like you are running the operations, and so they're they're probably saying it as as trying to be respectful, like, "Hey, boss, you know what what's going on?" No, I I don't think it's I, I don't think it's bad. Okay, but you know if they go like crazy, like, "All right, thank you, Kimosabi," or yeah. <laughs> "Hey, Slugger," thank you know then you know, <laughs> yeah, Slugger, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they call you Slugger. <laughs> I think I called you champ in some of the texts. That's yeah. condescending. I, I don't care. It, it doesn't bother me. I think it's 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 funny, honestly. Yeah, I think it's funny too. But you never call anyone sport. That's absolutely condescending. <laughs> um, unless they are really a little tyke, like a f- six-year-old kid, you know. Hey, sport, you know, that's fine. But someone who's similar age... I'm st- I'm stuck on this slugger now. I'm I'm gonna start, u- <laughs> start you got using that from that. work because <laughs> no, it's so funny. We talk about this stuff and then I'll hear it again, like at work or a customer yeah. or something. And it's like I was telling Danny at work. He said chief. I can't remember what the context was. And of course, like oh my goodness, we've just been talking about how that's so condescending. <laughs> 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 so it's a whole thing now. Um, all right, chief. So. <laughs> You have just finished a flooring project and it's giving us problems because I heard your echo with your brand new multi-thousand dollar flooring. Yeah, we talked about this last week. It, it took nine days to finish everything, but we got it done. So now it's just trying to clean up the house, get settled. But like you said, because we have hard floors throughout the entire house now, I'm sitting in a room that's echoing. So I, <laughs> I think <laughs> these a, are dumb problems. I had to go get a, an area rug to pull in here. And hopefully you guys don't hear too much of the echo. But yeah. yeah, no, it was, it was, it's good to finally be done now. Okay. So you, um, you do this very expensive project, but you know, Doug's always looking for a deal. So <laughs> sometimes he'll use friends and family. So today <laughs> for this flooring project, he got uh, his parents to come over and his dad was helping dig up the old flooring. And as we said last week, we paid for my parents to fly out here and I gave my, my dad some grief because we, he bought the tickets. We just gave them the money for it. And he and my mom got upgraded on all four of their flights. Mm-hmm. So they went um, Denver, Salt Lake, Sacramento, then on the way home, Sacramento, Minneapolis, Denver. They got upgraded on all four flights and I gave them career for it. I was okay, like, so hey, I will hold, we'll, we'll come back to that. But I was like, I didn't pay for first class for you. And he's like, oh, stop, yeah. come on. I was like, <laughs> I only agreed to an economy class ticket. Please like, don't don't send me the balance and, and say you owe me for all this. Well, he got upgraded for free, right? Yeah, he did. I, I was just, <laughs> yeah, I was just giving him a hard time. Yeah. Okay, so I don't know if the listeners caught that. Doug is sending his parents back home to the Denver area, but they're connecting via Minneapolis. And on the map, Minneapolis from the West Coast is past Denver. Oh, they flew right over Denver to get to Minneapolis to turn around and come back. I like yeah. how you're talking about that like that's normal. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it is It is for me. No, so get get this, get this. It's, it's really funny because, you know, my dad is like, like us, he mm-hmm. he looks at these things. Yep, Dale, he was on the show. He he actually told me he didn't realize that he had booked through Minneapolis. He just went with the cheapest option, and then he afterwards he was like, "Oh wow, okay, I guess we're going back to Minneapolis." Like normally, we look at those uh-huh. things and try and go out of the way. Yeah, but because we were paying for the ticket for him, he was like, "Yeah, I just went with the cheapest option." Didn't even yeah. catch that it was Minneapolis. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh huh. So yeah, okay. hopefully yeah, Dale's sure. listening to this yeah. episode because <laughs> and he can uh, we, we got that. you, Dale. We got you, Dale. I didn't realize that, <laughs> that I was going to Minneapolis. Yeah, that's something that you tell Marissa. Oh, I didn't realize that we were connecting via London to get from Boston to Miami. <laughs> <laughs> How, how this was episode is going to be like three hours long. <laughs> oh, it was fine. So we had 
freezing rain. So I got to stay at the airport Marriott for a couple of days. So it was a treat because it was like a little vacation, right? Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about the freezing rain in a second. But I got one more question before we move on. Um, Doug, help me understand these uh, street tacos you were making. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, after after all the work that we did with the floors, really the last thing I wanted to do was cook last night. But Marissa came home from the store with some frozen mahi-mahi. And I was like, I don't even know what to, what to do with this right now. And I, I don't want to have to look up a recipe and so we had some some uh tortillas in the in the pantry and i was like i'm i'm just gonna blacken these things on the stove and i'll, I'll make some street tacos and then you get okay. you and then you gave me some grief for it <laughs> so doug is making mexican street tacos okay so doug lives in california not even on a street on a court <laughs> and he's making the tacos in his backyard so I'm like, help me understand how this is a street taco. It's it's more the type the of taco, the style of taco. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking. I yeah. just thought it was funny. Yeah, court, um, I, I like that though. Court tacos. I was making court <laughs> court tacos. Yeah, you're making court tacos. Yeah. We are gonna. So we're gonna get to the news in a second. We had some really dramatic things that happened yesterday with uh, engines, mm-hmm. Pratt and Whitney engines. So we'll talk about that in just a second, but. Doug, I know you love the DC-10, but I want to know what your thoughts are on the C-5 Galaxy military transport. I grew up near where you work um, in Fairfield, and I remember gawking at these planes coming into Travis Air Force Base and hearing their powerful drone all during the day. Why are you not Team C-5 Galaxy, by the way? That was actually my second choice coming out of pilot training. Yeah, it it was either the KC-10 or the C-5 were my top two choices. I'm glad I went with the DC-10 just because of how iconic it is from like a commercial passenger standpoint. But the C-5 really is an impressive airplane. I actually got to fly on it uh, last year just as like an interfly thing where we can go watch other pilots and, and learn from the other airplanes. It was awesome. It was it was a great experience. Super quiet inside. Really? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. They So they just went through an engine upgrade. So r- real quick. Let's let's tell the listeners, let's explain what these are. It's basically the same size as a 747-400. It's a large high wing four engine military military transport, 16 feet longer than the 747-400. And its wingspan is about 11 feet wider. It's got 51,000 pounds of thrust now because they just upgraded their engines to uh, a new model, which is very quiet. Those engines, even when they're climbing out, both inside and outside, they're they're very quiet, very efficient engines. Are they versions of the CF6? They are, yeah. Okay, yeah, and that's and what I, the, the KC10, DC10 has. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I don't know what engine they had prior to that, but yeah, they, they are a version of the GE CF6, which is a, a great, very, very good engine, very efficient engine. To put that into perspective, the 747-400 freighter, has 63,000 pounds of thrust, so a little bit more on the 747. But I talking to some of my C5 buddies, they said that if they lose an engine, so if mm-hmm. there are three engines, so one engine yeah. out, they still have more thrust than they did with all four on the old model. The old one. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. So yeah. I, I wonder, so if you lost an engine on a Galaxy, would you would they continue? Like say they were halfway to Europe. It's, well, if yeah, so and we'll we'll get into that discussion as okay. um, as part of the equal time point. Okay. But with with what happened with the flight out of Denver yesterday, so we'll okay. we'll we'll save that discussion. But okay. then just the the last couple things. So the max takeoff weight for the C five is eight hundred thirty three thousand pounds. The seven forty seven four hundred is just a little bit above that at eight seventy five. So you can see it's basically on par size wise as a seven forty seven. Yeah, these are impressive stats. So um, for the listeners and for us, so I, I knew that these were developed around the same time, the C five mm-hmm. and the seven forty seven. But there's a lot of drama that went on, and I think we may need to do a whole episode on this because it seems like there's so much stuff that I was digging up as I was doing this research. You may not know this, but this this impressive stats with the c5 it goes toe-to-toe with the 747 the united states air force actually turned down the 747 in favor of the c5 in 1964 they were both competing for this large transport military Mm -hmm. transport so you know when we think 747 we don't know even i don't think military transport Mm -hmm. but that's how you know that in its inception was planned to be a military transport so boeing just didn't take their bat and ball and go home you know with a tail between their legs, they actually took that that design and made it into one of the most successful planes ever with the mm-hmm. 747. I don't think many people know that. Lockheed also planned a civilian version of the C-5. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't know this either. So they it was called the L500, and it would seat as many as a thousand passengers. There was some interest, but there were no orders uh, because it was so fuel inefficient. Also, and this is another segment we got to do. Um, Lockheed was going through a really hard time getting its Elton 11 off the ground. Mm-hmm. Rolls Royce was having problems. I think they were in bankruptcy. So the engines were delayed. Meanwhile, they're competing with the DC-10. There was a lot of stuff going on. And it was a bad economy, apparently. I think it was a recession and you know, to design a new plane and build it during a recession when there's very little money and the stuff is very expensive. Mm-hmm. So yeah, L-500 never took off, but it's been very successful with the U.S. Air Force now. Anything to add? I, I one, one. So, so one thing, I think the reason, and I, I'm just spitballing, I don't know for sure. I think the reason why the Air Force ended up going with the C-5 instead is because it has a ramp that can be driven on. Mm. Whereas, whereas the 747 is is very high profile. Yes, yep. yes, it has a nose that lifts up, but you have to have a loader that goes in there. The, C, right. the C-5 can actually kneel. kneel. So they have hydraulics where they kneel. And I've seen trucks, in fact... Uh, I worked at an air show up in Sacramento a couple of years ago that I was in charge of getting all the airplanes up there, all the equipment. And we actually flew a couple sets of air stairs. Jen will, mm-hmm. will love this. Mm-hmm. We, we, we flew a couple uh, sets of air stairs from Travis up to Sacramento on the C5 and they just drove right on. They drove oh. right onto the airplane. We flew them up to Sacramento, drove right off and we used the air stairs at the air show. Can't do that on a 747. Yeah. There's no kneeling. This, program just about failed when um, Reagan was the president and they were having problems with the wings. There were cracks in the wings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was going to cost too much money to fix. So they were just going to just drop the program. But Reagan was like, no, we need this. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you exactly what was going on geopolitically at the time, but he was like, we need these right now. Yeah. So the, the federal heavy, government the heavy lift. Yeah. Up. All right. One more fun fact. So th- this whole thing, you know, started because I saw someone's tweet of a C5 galaxy taking off and the way the I was watching the way the wheels retracted the main gear. So the plane takes off. And of course, the wheels are lined up with the fuselage lifts up the main wheels, the main the two main trucks or four, I think mm-hmm. they turn sideways. Yeah. Perpendicular. Full, full 90 degrees. Yeah. Full 90 as, degrees. as they get sucked up mm-hmm. and then they swing in and Doug, I was asking you, doesn't that slow the plane down? Cause that would be a lot of drag, but you're saying it shouldn't. So that's, that's called castering. And actually when the C5 taxis, they're able to turn like kind of pivot on the trucks, which, which helps them get around tighter turns than other large airplanes can. The 747 okay. can't do that. So that, that oh. really helps the C5 as Come for the God. drag. Yes, it does increase just a little bit but that's all part of what we call told which is takeoff and landing data so the the engineering specifics for the airplane all of the told that the pilots run accounts for that so it's not it's not like it's something that they weren't expecting so Mm -hmm. the the crews the crews know that that's part of it and that's that's built into the told yeah Got it. Well, it's pretty cool. So if you guys get a chance, just watch a C5 taking off and the way that landing gear retracts uh, into the hold is pretty cool. Okay, so now um, let's talk about what happened yesterday, Doug. So yesterday, there were two issues with uh, engine problems on planes. So the first one was uh, United 328-777-200 from Denver to Honolulu. It had a number two engine. We don't know if it was a failure exactly. We don't know what happened yet. We know it had a problem um, on departure. Uh, it quickly returned to Denver. It landed safely. Uh, most of the customers left later that day on an extra section. Uh, there was some debris from the engine that dropped uh, over Broomfield, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, no one got hurt. NTSB and FAA will be investigating the cause of the failure, so more to come on that. But also yesterday, a 747-400 operated by, what was it, Lion Air? Longtail. It says Longtail. Longtail, yeah. Yeah, 747-400 operated by Longtail. This aircraft was originally flown by Singapore Airlines, and it, it was built in 1991. Hmm. So that had an engine problem. Uh, departing Maastricht in Holland, going to New York, it landed safely in Liege, but debris fell again, and two people were slightly injured. It could have been much worse. I'm not saying it has anything to do with it, but uh, as a coincidence, maybe both of those engines were Pratt & Whitney 4000 versions. Mm-hmm. Now, my question to you, Doug, you're the pilot in the room. When you have an engine failure, even on yours, because you have three engines on the DC-10. How dramatic is that? And how how difficult is that to deal with? Like, what do you do? 
Well, it depends. And I, I do want to, I will talk about that. I want to come back to this engine thing real yeah. quickly. The Pratt and Whitney 4,000. As soon as the news yesterday started circulating about this issue, the first thing I thought about was there was a 777-200 from San Francisco to Honolulu two or three years ago that had basically mm -hmm. the same thing. Like the same cowling, thing. the cowling came off in flight. And as I was doing some research yesterday, I was reading the final NTSB investigation, which came out sometime last year, I want to say. And they said that it was mainly due to improper maintenance on the engine. Okay. So how long came off, right? That yeah, the the fact that this happened to a different airplane type and a different airline than the triple seven. So we're, the seven forty seven uh, was a different airline than mm -hmm. United's issue yesterday. Yeah. So that leads me to believe that maybe it isn't going to be a maintenance issue like it was a couple of years ago, that this could be mm -hmm. an engine. This could be an engine issue because the likelihood of the same maintenance issue happening again, to me, just seems very, very small. Now, from a pilot's perspective, uh, a couple of our friends were asking why they didn't hold and, and dump gas and, and things like that. A right. Cu couple things. They may not have been overweight because it was a relatively short flight, even though I think that it was relatively full from a, a passenger standpoint, probably yeah. not a lot of cargo going from Denver to Honolulu, relatively short flight, about six, seven hours, which for a triple seven, not that much. So they might have been under their maximum landing weight. Even if they weren't, they can land heavy. And and mm -hmm. you can you can speak to this kind of from the upside. But as yeah. a pilot, if I lose an engine, which anyone who's seen the videos of, of this engine and the pieces falling, it was still on fire as they were landing. The yeah. the engine was was still on fire as they were landing. I'm gonna land heavy ten times out of ten if that happens. There's yeah, no there's no reason round. to hold because you don't know you don't know what other catastrophic things could happen with this. Now that said, these engines are designed to burn. There, so we we have a shutoff handle in the cockpit, which what it does is it basically stops all the fuel, oil, and hydraulics going to the engine. So it cuts uh -huh. off any sort of a fuel source, something that could burn, hydraulic fluid, fuel, gas, etc. Shuts it off. So we lose that engine, but we shut it off so it doesn't burn back. Because what what you mm -hmm. don't want it to do is burn through the pipes and burn back. So it's a clean clean break of the engine. Yeah. That engine that engine could keep burning for hours and it's not going to do anything to the wing it, it could now, do it, you shut the fuel off to that engine you do yeah so when, when you do the handle it shuts everything it shuts yeah. hydraulics it shuts fuel all of that so the, the engines they're designed to burn out on the wing and just eventually burn themselves out even though the video looked like it was crazy and, <laughs> and you know I, I couldn't imagine what the passengers were thinking the ones who were able to see it yeah, yeah. it was totally safe nothing was going to happen to that wing, to that engine, to that airplane, because that's how it's designed. And the pilots handled it really well. Yeah, two things. So looking at the video, it looks like that engine is still on, but um, I'm being told it's probably the uh, fan blade windmilling mm -hmm. as it's moving That's That's what it is, yeah. And the other thing is these um, the fire bottles, the fire extinguishers are inside the cowling. So if mm -hmm. there's no cowling, are they really effective? I mean, would they put out a fire if there's no cowling to? No, so that that could that could be part of the reason why it was still burning because yeah, the so. the cowling completely separated and um, yeah, the they weren't able to 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 put it out. But again, not a big deal. I I, I say not a big deal. It's it is yeah, it is I mean, a very good. big deal. But from from a pilot perspective, we our training would just kick in and we do this kind of stuff in the sim every single quarter. And so the, the pilots, it was probably a little bit stressful, but it was nothing that they couldn't handle. Yeah, you know, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was nothing, nothing too terribly crazy from, it could have been a lot worse. Like they could have lost the hydraulics. It could have been like a Sioux City, DC-10 right. incident, things mm -hmm. like that. From, from everything that I was reading, and again, this is a day after, so it's very preliminary. It, yeah. was, it was pretty black and white. The, the way that they handled it, got the airplane on the ground. Everyone was, everyone was fine. Yeah. On a positive note, you know, it seemed like the crew was really calm flight attendants, even the other customers, apparently the customers on the other side, they couldn't see it. So they had mm -hmm. no clue. Yeah. There was applause when the plane landed and I watched a video of the landing. It just seemed like a normal smooth landing. So mm -hmm. really good job by the crew yeah. bringing that down fast. Can we talk about the equal time point? Because you, you yes. asked, you asked about this uh, at the top yeah. of the show. When do you continue? Yep. So what, so what we do is 
we have what's called an equal time point. So when, as soon as you coast out, so as soon as you leave a coast, whether you're going from Europe to North America, from North America to Hawaii, anytime you fly over the ocean, you, you draw a line on a map. Like we actually have a physical map that we do. There's software that you can do it as well. And, and so we, we get the software, we get the answer that says, here's mm-hmm. your equal time point. But then as the pilots, we back that up and we say, okay, yeah. does this make sense? And, and we have calculations for how we figure it out. There is a point in space based on time, not distance, where you are equidistant between two alternates. Meaning that when you get to, let, let's say flying from San Francisco to Honolulu, mm-hmm. there's nothing in between. So you're either going to keep going. So there's to Honolulu, no diversion. No, you're, you're either going to, okay. you're either going to go to Honolulu or you're going to turn around and go to San Francisco. There is no okay. Island or anywhere that you can drop in, in between. Okay. When you're flying that direction, you have the winds in your face, meaning your equal time point, the distance from the U S is actually going to be closer than the distance from Hawaii because mm-hmm. as you turn around because it takes you longer to fly or excuse me sorry I, I said that the wrong way when you're flying from San Francisco to Honolulu the distance across the ground is actually going to be more than halfway because once you turn around and you've got that tailwind that's kicking you back to the states you're going to get back quickly Quicker. whereas okay. when, when you're going from Hawaii to the states mm-hmm. the distance across the ground is not going to be quite the halfway point because when you turn around you're going to be flying into that headwind to get back to Hawaii so when, when we make that determination let's say they were mid-pacific and they lost the engine you yeah. have that chart in front of you and you say are we past the equal time point yet if the answer is yes you continue if it's no and you have that pre you have that um, predetermined determined. predetermined and then in, at least in our airplane, I, I don't know what the standard procedures are in United or uh, on the 777. In our airplane, when we get to the equal time point, we announce that. We say, crew, we're past the equal time point. That way, everyone who's in the cockpit at the time knows. Yeah. And if we have a, re- a relief pilot who comes up after that point or even before that point, we say, hey, we're past the equal time point or we're not at, at the equal time point. So everyone is in the know. Everyone knows if something happens you're either continuing or you're going back. Yeah. You know, that's interesting because we had this conversation about range and nautical miles and stuff. And it was interesting to hear from you. You don't really think about the distance. You think about how many hours Mm -hmm. of fuel you have, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. So from uh, an airport ops perspective, when we have this and it's it's an overweight landing, so just to explain, when a plane takes off, when a 747 takes off, it could be 875,000 pounds which is fine to take off, but that plane can't land at 875,000 pounds because that's a heavy plane. That's over the maximum landing weight. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, like Doug said, you have an emergency. You just need to get that thing on the ground. You don't have time to uh, burn fuel. When that happens, plane lands. We check for hot brakes because the crew had to use additional pressure to stop the plane because it's heavier. Maintenance will check for hot brakes and maintenance will do a heavy landing check to make sure that there's no damage from the heavy landing. And so far in my career, those planes have always been cleared. I don't know of an issue where that plane was taken out of service for several days. No, I mean, it, it'll be out of service longer for the engine change than it will be for the, the overweight landing check if it did land overweight. Speaking of heavy planes, you got some exciting stuff that I do. Yeah. And, and this is, this is, I feel like this is going to become our new 737 max discussion, right? The, we'll just the keep max, talking about it until people the, tell us, please stop. Exactly. The, the max is flying again. We don't have much to talk about that. It's, it's back. Yeah. That's it. We're, t- we're talking about Boeing's new airplane. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the NMA may not be dead. They were talking about this double aisle airplane that was based on the the same design that they had been working on for a couple of years. And when the new chief executive came in last year, he confirmed that the new airplane would be a single aisle airplane, but then all this new stuff came up saying, well, maybe it's not. Last we were week, sad that day. We were, yeah. And last <laughs> week, Aviation Week reported that the new aircraft could be a two aisle model, but again, Boeing hasn't really confirmed anything. So this article is from the Wall Street Journal talking about, is it too late to build a mid-range plane for Boeing? Boeing 757 was ahead of its time, but it wasn't a big seller. And now the market is ready for a 757 size plane, this article says. Boeing and Airbus have stretched their existing models to the long range 737 MAX 10 and the A321 XLR. Investors weren't big on the NMA as it uh, they claim would only replace about 700 767s in operation, but a smaller variant could actually double that. 
And with these airplanes doing seven hour flights, a wide body would be a big hit against an A321 or even a 737 MAX. Development costs would hover around $20 billion and an entry into service could be around 2030. Although as we talked about, Aviation Week said possibly 2026. Hard to tell when it's going to be. What should Boeing do, Drew? <laughs> is, is 2030 too so, late? Is, so the, the, big, no. the, big, the big question, is 2030 too late? No, because I think the airlines, I think we're going to see narrow body transcons with the A321. It's going to be fine for a while, replacing the 757s. But by 2030, travel continues to go up. And I think we'll be ready for a small wide body to replace the A321 XLRs. Yeah. <laughs> or work with them. I, I know a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that this could be a 321 XLR killer, right? If if Boeing comes out with basically an airplane that's the same weight or just a little bit heavier, better economics, the, yeah. this, the 321 XLR will be a good stopgap until this comes out. I, I'm going to bring up something new here. Mm-hmm. Why, does, why does it have to be a direct A321 XLR competitor? And the reason, the reason I ask this is Boeing came out with the 787, entered into service in 2008. Initially, the A350 was meant to be a competitor for the 787. It didn't enter yeah. service until mid the mid-2010s, 2013, 14. I, I can't remember exactly. The 350 evolved into more of a 777 replacement than a 787 direct competitor. Absolutely. There are some airlines that have chosen to go with the seven or the A350 over the 787, but there are a lot of airlines who have both around the world. The NMA, Boeing's new NMA, does not have to be a direct competitor to the 321. It just needs to be a little bit different to fill that uh, gap. That's what you're saying. To, yeah, fill, to fill that gap between the 321 and the, the old 767s and the, the lower capacity versions of the 787. Because there's a well, big it could gap. Also be, it could also be an A330 beater. And I, I really think... You know, these low fare airlines are going to go for the cheapest thing available, mm-hmm. but I could see the the bigger carriers, the flag carriers like Singapore, British Airways, United, American. I can see them going the path of a twin aisle plane for a better product. And, you know, Boeing may be able to make the um, economy similar to the A321 XLR by 2030. Mm-hmm. We'll see. So we're excited about that. And uh, please tweet at us and tell us to stop if we're talking about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll promise uh, once, once a month. How about that? Yeah. All right. Next story. You know, when there's a pandemic, you'll see a lot of uh, strange bedfellows, so to speak, like people will consolidate so that they can save money and continue to to make money in some areas. So that's what's happening with uh, American and JetBlue. They'll be jointly selling tickets under a new partnership that they have. This is a story from CNBC. Uh, American and JetBlue announced their plans for a partnership in July. The carriers will launch more than 70 routes under a code share agreement, which allows them to sell tickets on each other's flights. The agreement is still under investigation by the Justice Department and attorneys in Massachusetts and New York. They did start selling tickets on each other's airlines in on Thursday, though, so this is already starting. The carriers will divest, meaning they'll give up some slots at Kennedy and Washington Reagan National, and they agreed not to coordinate on some routes, which would be considered collusion if they organize prices on that. They plan to have code shares eventually on over 100 flights and allow customers to earn and burn miles on each other's mileage programs. Now, the pilots unions at both airlines are reviewing the agreement. What do you have on that, Doug? Well, I would, first of all, I'll talk from a passenger perspective, and I'll say I think this is a great thing, right? Because it opens up a, a lot of options for both American frequent flyers and JetBlue frequent flyers with the code share agreement. Anyone who in the past has flown code share flights, Alaska has code share with a lot of different people. Back in the day, America West and United had code share together, and then Continental joined mm-hmm. before the merger, and Northwest. Delta had co-chair. It's good. It, it opens up more options, not just a, a single airline. From the pilot side, though, uh, there was an article in Airways magazine this morning, actually, and it says that the pilots did not accept the agreement, but that's not going to stop it. The pilots from both airlines are against this, and I'll, I'll tell you why. American furloughed 2,300 pilots, and they haven't called a single one of them back yet. Mm. They're getting paid because of the second round of CARES, but no, none of those pilots are, are flying. And the, the pilot union at American is looking at this saying, this is a cheaper way for American to get labor because JetBlue is a low-cost carrier. Their costs are lower. Mm-hmm. 
And so by being able to sell American tickets on a lower cost carrier means that that is a longer time before these pilots that were hired by American that worked for American will get called back because American is looking at cheaper ways to operate some of these flights that if it wasn't for this agreement would have otherwise been flown on American metal. Okay. So now instead of the airline employee, let me pay, play the corporate executive. Mm-hmm. I would come back and say, well, JetBlue, it works both ways. So JetBlue is also feeding our flights, which gives American more jobs. True. But JetBlue didn't furlough any of their pilots. That's the difference. I know, but JetBlue is going to be be adding customers to Americans load factor though. Yeah. That means more jobs. Yeah, possibly. Unless American is going to stop flying some routes and then JetBlue flies those routes, that would be a problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Problem. I'm not sure what the breakdown is going to be. Yeah. yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, this is the time you. This is the time to do these things where I think the authorities are more lenient because mm-hmm. if you're not making money, you can make a case. Hey, I know you know this could be a competition thing, but we're losing money. Yeah, I mean, look, look at this isn't a merger per se, but look at when the last mergers happened, right? You you mm-hmm. had Northwest Delta 2008, right in the middle of the financial crisis. You had before that you had TWA American in 2000, 2001. We were already headed toward a recession before 9-11. There was yeah. the consolidation that right. whole, the whole downturn post 9-11. You saw America West, US Air get together, uh, Air Trans Southwest after the financial crisis. I mean, the, the list goes on. It always seems yeah. to happen during crises like this. Yeah, I, for, I forget the term, but you know they say a crisis is a horrible thing to squander to waste. or waste. Yeah, I think waste because Warren, Warren Buffett, right? Done. Was that Warren Buffett? I think Warren I think Buffett so. said that. He said never waste or never squander a good crisis. Yeah, so crisis is an opportunity to get stuff done, especially if you know things are going to improve. Now, this is similar. We're going to go on to this discussion. And Doug, I didn't. I don't have a lot of notes on this because okay. yeah. I, I know I, I that don't we either. have... <laughs> I know that you and I have very strong opinions on this. So these are all the new routes that airlines are planning, you know, and we said a crisis, you don't want to squander it. You don't want to waste it. So airlines are using this crisis to try and throw darts at the board and see what sticks. I mean, that, at least that, what, that's what it seems like. United announced that uh, they'll be flying from Boston to London. And a friend texted me. He said, what is this spirit? <laughs> <laughs> Because neither of those are really a hub. Like London is a big city for United, but Boston's not. United doesn't really have a big presence in Boston. And just to explain, Spirit is a low-cost U.S. carrier whose route network is literally all over the map and not based on focus cities or hubs. Are the major airlines being focused on finding where the revenue is, or are they just throwing darts on the board and seeing what sticks? Doug, these are some routes that uh, I found that are new, and feel free to add some if I'm missing anything, but these are the ones that stood out to me. So American is launching A321T. This is their product with three cabins, service from Kennedy to Orange County. United is launching JFK to San Francisco and Los Angeles. It's been delayed twice, but I think it is eventually going to launch. And Boston to London, which we talked about. United is also launching 737-700 service from Orange County to Honolulu. Frontier from Orlando to Cancun, Miami, and Santo Domingo. From Ontario to Las Vegas and Phoenix. And from Phoenix to SAC, to mm-hmm. your hometown, Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Delta is getting in the Oakland to Los Angeles market. They'll be challenging Southwest and Spirit. So Delta's going after these low fare carriers. Delta is also challenging United on Los Angeles to Houston. Those are both United hubs. JetBlue is doing Los Angeles to Miami with uh, Mint. That's interesting to me. Well, <laughs> so those are the ones I have. Yeah. Did I miss anything? No. Well, so going back to the London, the United London service, Delta pre-COVID had been trying this. They had been doing 767 service out of Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Tampa to Amsterdam, Paris. I'm I'm trying to remember some of the others. So it's not the first time that a major has tried a non-hub to a a major city. Boston is really growing. And pre-COVID, Delta was building up Boston. Americans trying to build up Boston. It gets some spillover, I feel like, from the the New York area, mm. just some okay. of the, the northern suburbs where it's almost e- where, where it's almost easier to get up to Logan than it is to get down to JFK. Because again, uh-huh. you have to go through the city. So it, I I don't know. That kind of makes sense. The JetBlue LA to Miami with Mint doesn't surprise me a lot because JetBlue has really been trying a, a lot of different transcon routes with the premium product. And I know American, a couple of their, at least one or two of their flights a day 
is on a triple seven from LA to Miami with, with the premium. Product. Yes. Yeah. And I've, I've done that. I, I did flagship business on American last year. So yeah, Tyler I, talks about that. A lot of them, the non-refs take it because that's a, a nice ride. Exactly. Exactly. Now frontier frontier has historically tried 35 different routes to see what works. And, and then if it doesn't, they, they stop. I would say 15 years ago, if this was happening, mm -hmm. yes, it's throwing darts at a board and seeing if they stick. Today, with all the data that we have, with all the artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. the machine learning, years and years of data, I think that airlines are being more pragmatic about it and they wouldn't launch these things if they didn't see the demand there. Because they can see, hey, if we have someone who's going from, I, I don't know, let me pick a route here. So Delta, LA to mm -hmm. Houston, they can look and they can say, we have 300 passengers a day on Delta mm -hmm. who are going from LA to Houston. We don't have a nonstop. We have to go through Salt Lake or Atlanta and backtrack or Seattle and down. They have the data to say, yeah. let's launch it. Even if it's one flight, two flights a day, whatever. I don't think they would do it if they didn't think any of these airlines, if they didn't think they could make it work. Yeah. Now, as you're talking about this, I'm imagining you in a corporate office doing route planning and <laughs> digging up data. You would love this. Yeah. Right, you love this stuff. Oh, I would. I, I love this. And stuff. you'd be like, yeah. guys, this is going to work. Look yeah. at these spreadsheets; it's going to work. Well, and, and it, can, can I add one more thing? The yeah. difference, the difference today from again 15 years ago with all of the technology is they don't have to do these year round. They don't have to do these no. for for a summer schedule because it used to be a flight would start in March and it would run the entire IATA summer schedule to October, mm -hmm. and then they would say it's seasonal. We're dropping it. Seasonality mm -hmm. doesn't matter anymore, right? You look around the Christmas no. time, look around the ski holidays. Right. You get a, a lot Visit. of flights, a lot, well, a lot of flights into a place like Vail that only operate for like three weeks of the year, like mm -hmm. right, right around the holidays and things like that. And so airlines don't have to do like a seven month chunk, seven days a week, four flights a day. They can yeah. sprinkle them in where, where they can use these airplanes, where they can move the people, where they can utilize the crews. Yeah, exactly. From now, from a non-rev perspective, we love these one-offs because when a flight goes from a non-hub, there's not as many non-revs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you're an airline employee, fly up. If you're trying to get to Boston, you can't leave from the airline's hubs. You fly to Boston where it's not a hub, and you'll probably be the only non-rev. <laughs> You know, because there's not a lot of employees that work in that station. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just looking at these routes. Orange County to Honolulu on a 737-700. That's a regional plane that's going to be flying over the Pacific. I didn't know it could fly for. Well, I guess it can. It goes coast to coast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Con yeah. Continental apparently ran that route pre-merger. With the 737? 737-700. Mm -hmm. I, um, I, I was reading that it was capacity limited sometimes just based on based on wins and everything. I, I know Tyler asked us what we thought about the A321T, which you said it's the three class. So this is the yeah. super premium. It's got lay flat first class, lay flat right. business, business plus premium mm -hmm. economy. There's a lot of money in that in Orange County, that region of LA. Yeah. And you have to you have to think about it. Looking on a map, it's easy to say, well, it's only 30 miles away from LAX. Mm -hmm. 30 miles in LA is Could be like, a two hour it's like three hours. So <laughs> I, I mean that in, in a way that is like someone commuting from Austin up to Dallas, you know, mm -hmm. e even though that's like 150 miles, not 30 yeah. The time. Again, this comes back to time, not distance. And I'm going to use my pilot talk here. Mm -hmm. You have to look at this from time. It's not yeah. just, it's not just distance. And there is a lot of capacity that is opened up at Orange County right now based on COVID because some of the main players aren't, aren't there. In, yeah. in the same bulk that they had been. All right, one more thought before we leave this. So this thing with Boston, you know, JetBlue is going to start service to London from Boston and New York. So maybe this is uh, the shot over the bow from United. It's like, okay, so you're going to start from New York. We'll we'll come on your turf. You know, we'll, we'll compete with you from Boston to London. So now Boston is not a huge gateway, right? I mean, it's becoming big, but now you're going to have, does Delta fly from Boston to London? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Delta, United, JetBlue, American, Virgin, when they come back, British Airways, that's a lot of lift. A lot of capacity, <laughs> yeah. But, and, and here's, here's where United wins, it's Heathrow. Because Jet, JetBlue, oh, yeah. JetBlue is not, did not get Heathrow slots. So again, yeah. United coming in with, with that base, being able to say, hey, we're, we're going to Heathrow. Yeah, yeah. It, it'll be interesting. 
Well, I really think the 767 that they have that's converted to where it's mostly premium is like mm-hmm. a, a really, that's a secret weapon because you don't have to fill a lot of seats and the seats that you do fill, they're mostly premium. Mm-hmm. It's high value. All right. Well, moving on to our ops topic for this week, it, it is in a way a little bit some news, but we'll we'll talk about it more from an ops perspective. And this is reported by everyone, but the, the article that we have is from USA Today. It says, winter storm, 2,900 plus flights canceled. New waivers for East Coast as Texas airports dig out. 100 million people under winter storm warnings between Texas and the Southern Plains to the Northeast. Thousands of flights were canceled this week with DFW leading the world in cancellations. Drew, you're going to talk about the ice and snow, but we'll we'll talk about this. And I was supposed to have a friend visit last mm-hmm. week. He and his wife are moving out here and they're looking for houses. They're supposed yeah. to come stay with us and they had to cancel because they they're in Austin and they mm. couldn't. They were without power. They couldn't dig out. Their flights were canceled. What, what, are, your, what, are, what are your thoughts <laughs> well, on this? Well, I mean, not just from an aviation perspective. People are up in arms that they don't have power, and this is ridiculous. And the power companies and the airports are not going to prepare with equipment and trucks and generators for something that maybe happens every, what, 20 years? Mm-hmm. This is not going to happen. I mean, sometimes these things are going to happen. So. Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston were basically, and Austin were basically shut down for a few days. Now, this storm came up from the south and it hit the DC and New York areas, but we were planning uh, six to seven inches. I actually stayed at an airport hotel because they wanted people to be at the ready just in case we couldn't get back in. But, Doug, it was a total, I don't want to say it was a total non event because we did have ice and snow, but it was supposed to be ice, freezing rain in the morning. So I wake up at the Marriott, I look outside, there's nothing. Mm going to work. And then, you know, there's a little bit of freezing rain. And then our morning bank, you have to, that's when it really started with the freezing rain. Worst time, because this is when the bank leaves. So we had to hold that bank for half an hour to 45 minutes, because when there's freezing rain, when there's moderate freezing rain, you you can't do it. Yeah. So why push these planes out and just have them wait forever? So we just held them. Then it reduced to light pellets and snow. And that's okay mm-hmm. to travel. But there's another challenge. So when they go out, we do a two-step process. If it's still ice or snow, if it has snowed, we just do type one de-ice fluid just to get the ice and snow off. But if it's continuing, if the precipitation is continuing, we'll also do type four. So it's a two-step process. Even with the two-step process, the holdover times with those light pellets was very short. It was only about 15 minutes. So we had one or two that didn't make it because you have to wait for takeoff. You can't take off right away. Mm-hmm. So then they came back. So, but other than that, you know, it wasn't a huge deal. And we had took some long taxi times. And then on the later part, the five o'clock bank, the precipitation had stopped. So it was just type one, not a huge deal. So we, Doug, we only had one to two inches. So compared to what was going on in Texas and the South, it was um, not a big issue for did, us. Did you see the Memphis canceled all their flights? I think it was on Friday because they, oh, didn't, they, did. have, they didn't have enough water for the, for the terminal for safe operations. So they canceled the entire spectrum of flights that day. We do want to say our thoughts are with all the all of our Texas and, and Southern listening yep. friends, including Nate and, and Nate. some other people. I want to jump in from a passenger perspective. I had to talk to reservations agents for two airlines this week for some upcoming travel. Mm-hmm. They were the friendliest people in the world, even though I know they're really? dealing with so much stuff right now. And I apologize. I said, I'm really sorry. I, I'm not trying to rebook a flight with all the weather and everything that's going on. They're like, oh, no, 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 that's fine. We're, we're just trying to take care of everyone. The hold on United was like four minutes, even oh, though cool. it said it was going to be longer. Really good. Mm-hmm. With Delta, I had to wait like an hour, hour and a half, but they called me back. So there was an option where you just push a number. I, I went about finishing up some work. I got a call back. Yeah. They said, you're next in line. And right. that was it. Like it, very, very easy. Why doesn't so, everyone do that? Because I was on hold with Hilton and it, you never, you just, you don't know when it's going to end. It's like, te- just call me back. Tech limited, maybe? I I, I really don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But I, I know our buddy Justin's wife works in reservations. She, uh, all, the, all the people who work in reservations, we appreciate you yes. with everything that's that's gone on uh, over the last week. So yeah, we're, we're thinking about all of you guys. <laughs> All right, let's go to our next story. Learjet. <laughs> you don't hear a lot about the Learjet because when I hear Learjet, I think 70s and 80s. But anyway, <laughs> so Bombardier has ceased Learjet production or will cease Learjet production at the end of this year. The Learjet was launched in the 1960s by Bill Lear. And this plane is synonymous with luxury, luxury travel for celebrities. 
Learjet has made 3,000 aircraft, with the first being the six-passenger Learjet 23. Bombardier acquired the Learjet Corporation in 1990. They will instead focus on the profitable Challenger and global aircraft families. Well, I didn't know that Bombardier had actually purchased Lear and, until you sent this article. I, yeah. I didn't realize that, and I don't think I realized that they were still in production. But yeah, it is sad to see another iconic plane going to the dust heap, although a lot of these are going to be around for a long time. Yeah. Most of us haven't flown on a corporate jet, but we have flown on airline regional jets. So we put a question out on Twitter. We asked you, given your choice of an Embraer ERJ-145 or the CRJ-200, what would you choose for your private jet? And to explain for anyone who doesn't know, these are the smallest jets in most regional fleets with roughly 50 seats. The ERJ-145 has a 1-2 configuration and the CRJ-200 is a 2-2. Drew, what were the results? <laughs> so the results, um, and I'm sorry, Nolan. Nolan's one of our loyal listeners. He was really rooting for the CRJ-200. So it was uh, 58% chose the ERJ-145 and 42% chose the uh, CRJ-200. Now, Doug, we're going to get to what we would choose because I don't, I don't know if we'd pick the same one. Some of these comments are funny. So Reggie said he's a fan of the longer fuselage and not having my seat above the window. So definitely the Embraer 145. Now, our buddy Ryan in Fargo, <laughs> he has this uh, gif of uh, something from Sesame Street. What was the the garbage monster? Was that the was the cookie uh, monster? No, grouch. It was in the trash can. The grouch. The grouch. The grouch. Yeah. So the Grouch, he has this gift that says, ERJ lover is summed up. <laughs> and the, the gift says, I love it because it's trash. <laughs> <laughs> so not an ERJ fan. And then we have uh, Tom Polini sent a picture of him sitting on board a luxurious CRJ private jet. It looks really nice. Mm -hmm. And it looks like the windows are higher. So you can configure it that way, I guess. Our friend Greg says, I've got to go with the CRJ strictly for the bigger cabin. So the CRJ cabin is wider. Jason Naffel says, ERJ all day, as someone who enjoys looking out the window most of the time, my neck still hurts from the windows on the CRJ 200 being so <laughs> low. <laughs> Justin goes, he remembers thinking about this exact topic the first time he flew on an ERJ 145. Ryan Fargo, so his choice is the CRJ 200. He thinks that people might mistake it for the Challenger 300. Mm -hmm. So before... Bombardier, not Bombardier, but Canada. It was. It was Canada. They made a little business jet, a little stubby little thing. Just imagine mm -hmm. a CRJ 200, but like really short. So they might think it's, you know, a business jet to begin with. The CRJ 200 is based on that. Yeah, that's what it's. I'm a, it's a stretch version of it, and that's part yeah. of the that's part of the reason why the windows are down at your hip because that's yeah. that's where they're at in the Challenger. So yeah, I mean, the CRJ 200 is based on that. Now he asks, would uh, the ERJ still have the weird storage space on the right side? No. I mean, if you're reconfiguring this, they could take that out. You know, that ERJ does have custom-built, or uh, Embraer does have custom-built regional jets based on the 145. It's called the Legacy. So it's already, you can still already get it. Mm -hmm. We know the CRJ 200 already is, in, is being turned into those jets too. Yeah. What would you choose? I would choose the CRJ 200. Because I think the way, I mean, the way Tom's sitting on that plane, it looks like the windows are normal level. Maybe it's because the cargo pit I don't know. They could, yeah, possibly lower the floor. I, I don't yeah. know. Or or I, I do know on the CRJ 700, 900, they actually raise the windows up. Okay. They, they move them up. So, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I would choose a CRJ 200 because it has a wider cabin. That's mine. That's my reason. Oh, really? Too. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's it's wider. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably okay. probably two feet. I, I don't know exactly, but I mean that makes a difference from like a, a floor space. What what you're gonna put in there for amenities and, and things like that. And let's be honest, I, I do understand the argument about looking out the windows because the CRJ windows are down at your hip, and that's not fun. But yeah. when you're when you're on a private jet and you're sitting in a giant recliner seat, guess what? You mm -hmm. can recline the seat and look out the window better. You know what oh, I mean? True. Yeah, it's it's not, it's as, not big as big of a deal. Of a deal. No, you're, you're not in 30-inch pitch with 50 of your closest friends. Yeah. All right. So, Nolan, uh, Doug and our team CRJ, even though it lost the contest. So, All right. Now, so this next segment, we were going to talk more about it, but Doug wants to tease the listeners. So, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you talk about what's going to happen next week. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I have to head out to Philly on Wednesday for a work trip. It's a couple weeks long, and I've got a couple days off next weekend. Drew and I originally were going to be flying the 
inaugural, the JFK, the United JFK inaugural, which unfortunately yeah. canceled. So we've got a couple other things up our sleeves and we're, we're not going to talk about it, but we'll probably tweet it out as we go and, and look for a discussion about it in the next week or two on the yeah. podcast. I, <laughs> I cannot wait. Well, no, we turned a bad situation into something that's actually more exciting now because Doug was able to find find some routings, which are amazing. And we're going to be able to test out several products mm-hmm. we haven't tried. You guys, as we talk about this trip that we're going to take, we want everyone to know that we know that the CDC is currently recommending no non-essential travel, but we also work in the aviation industry. I work for an airline, Doug works in aviation, and he's going to be working for an airline at some point. So it's also important to us that our industry stays strong. And right now the industry is hurting and people are starting to travel, but load factors are still below 50%. Doug and I, we're not traveling left and right all the time, but we are going to take some trips and we're going to travel safely. And we're going to support not only the airlines, but also the clubs, also restaurants, also hotels. And we can do this all very safely. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Well, and I've had my second vaccination, so I have very little reservation about doing something like this. And we are traveling safely. I will be wearing masks. We'll be washing our hands, doing all this. But there, there comes a fine line that we have to walk between staying in, not doing anything and letting the economy collapse around us and still supporting in in a way it's no different than supporting local restaurants and businesses and and things like that. And we've been pretty outspoken about it the whole time. We're not trying to, we're not trying to turn listeners away. We apologize if you're offended by this, but this is, this is a choice that Drew and I have made and we are making and we're supporting this industry so that it will be here for us when, when things are quote unquote back to normal. Well, yeah. And you know, if, if you're making a personal choice not to travel, you know, we're not going to judge you for that, but I'm going to tell you if I go to a restaurant, in DC, I'm going to use the same safety precautions as when Doug and I go to a restaurant someplace else on our trip. It's no different. To our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip Podcasts. Also, if you enjoy the show, please tell your friends about it. Try and spread the word so other people can listen to the great content that you enjoy. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. Are you hearing my dog? Yeah, it's all right. All right, so um, five o'clock bank, which is uh, busier, the precipitation had stopped. So it was taking like a few minutes to de-ice these planes. So um, <laughs> it's all right. Why do they have to be upstairs right now? No, these dogs, they'll see another dog. They'll see someone walking a dog on the side. Oh, they, they think they're, they're, pr- they're protecting like how, you. Yeah, how dare you? It's like, no, they can walk their dogs in front of us. <laughs> <laughs>